Hello, welcome back to the Cloak and Dagger podcast. Uh, my name's Patrick. I am joined, as ever, by my good friend Will. Hi, Will. Hi there. How are you, Pat? I'm I'm doing all right. Oh, so you keep changing the way you what you call me. You call me Pat now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Pat, Pat Patch, my, Patrick. I thought I'd throw my, you off. <laughs> that's what my friends from the north call me, and I don't like it. <laughs> I know that's why um, I did it, just to throw a spanner in the works. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, I've been all right. How have you been, William? Yeah, not too bad. Um, lots of work going on at the moment. Yeah, mm. things are fun. Things are fun. Yeah, things are fun, despite the crippling lockdown measures that we are now being thrown into. But worse for Manchester than it is for London. So I feel worse for you than for me. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but yeah, we are in different cities, so and we're both being put through different things depending on what our government is deciding yeah okay so um for today's episode is my episode back to me um and we are jumping forward in history from last week all the way to the 18th century which is the 1700s which i'm still getting used to Uh, um and this is in sweden and so Actually, unlike the last three episodes, um, we won't be looking at a organisation of assassins or like a group or like a type of assassins. We'll actually be just looking into a single assassination um, in Sweden at this time, which makes it it's kind of a more interesting one. It's kind of a bit more of a story. Um, we'll sort of be talking about the, the the events that led up to it and the reasons for it and how it was perpetrated and whether it was in any way a success um but our story starts with gustav the third of sweden king of sweden um he came to the throne in 19 19 in 1771 already going on he came to the throne in 1771 he was actually in paris when he came to the throne but i guess that's really because yeah his father had died and i guess you know they ascend the throne immediately so there's continuation of power so he was in Paris at the time but he came to power in a very interesting time in history for Sweden because it was during that time where actually a lot of the power of the monarchy had been taken away and was entire mostly given over to parliament which is quite a forward-thinking you know progressive world really so what say when was this 1771 yeah, 1771. So it's kind of Age of Enlightenment time. It's, I mean, a lot is going on at that time, which we'll get into later. We've got, you know, France going into revolution soon. Um, America is about to start kicking off and start being... Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it, isn't it? Yeah, America's starting kick to kick off. off. Yeah, so they haven't stopped kicking it, since. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's But it's a really interesting time for the entire world. Um, so he comes in, and it's called the Age of Freedom, because it's this kind of idea that, you know, the people are leading, although really it's not really the people, it's kind of the nobility because it's parliament and most of parliament is made up by um, the noble, the the elite um, of Sweden. And actually it's kind of split between the estates, um, which if you don't know, this is kind of a common um, government sort of hierarchy in lots of European countries where you have different estates and it's like the noble estates, the... uh, sort of religious the the church and then you've got like the merchant class and then the peasants and they kind of share power to an extent but it's mostly the nobles and so this is when gustav um ascends the throne and he tries to work with the nobles but actually he decides that this isn't working for me they're not doing a very good job 
they've got they've they've gone into all sorts of problems in this age of freedom which sounds like a great golden age but actually it was full of famine and territorial losses and foreign infiltration and so all on, sorts of stuff is the age of freedom freedom from the monarchy is it like after yes. the absolute monarchy's gone and they're like hell yeah this is freedom let's go let's go for it and actually it hasn't yeah, gone yeah. very well okay, yeah it's a okay. time when they pull away from the absolute power of the monarchy so the monarchy is still there gustav's father was you know still a king they didn't get rid of them it's not they haven't gone full france so it's like the uk it's like the constitutional yes, yeah, yeah. monarchy okay. it, yeah it became much more of a constitutional monarchy and a parliamentary government but it really didn't work that well for them um they had all sorts of problems <laughs> russia's this kind of imposing force that really meddled in all their affairs um oh. and so gustav after trying a bit to try and work with the nobles and try to um, improve the government of the land because it just hadn't been going that well that doesn't go well so he decides to just start a coup and take over by force and well, he, so he does that. So he, he he is he crowned and then starts a coup against the government. It is a year so, later. So ah, he tries okay. to work with them a bit, but it doesn't really work. And so he decides, and he's quite a, he's a very likable king. They call him um, supposedly sort of a prince charming, um, oh. and he's very intelligent and he's very popular with the people. Not so much with the nobles, especially after he kind of overthrows them and in a quite a remarkable bloodless coup. Um, there's no real battle. He kind of just takes over. He uses Finnish nobles, and at this time Sweden controlled all of Finland. Um, oh, and the okay. Finnish nobility don't like the Swedish nobility because obviously they're kind of seen as second-class nobility. But they support um, Gustav to a certain extent. And so in this kind of big, kind of very easy, straightforward revolution, he assumes a much more absolute power monarchy and oh. creates a new constitution. That's very cool. That's well, it's, it's kind of strange when you think about like as we say, this is sort of an age of enlightenment. This is going the other way. It's kind of if you're, you know, you're meant to be getting rid of the absolute monarchs, and especially yeah. as he'd been in Paris. Oh, maybe the absolute monarchy in Paris was a a model that he liked. I don't know. That's. I mean, that's it's. A, I mean, it's, it's an it's an odd thing to to model your power on, given what's about to happen in France. Um, but <laughs> yeah, because yeah, because the age of freedom started in seventeen eighteen, so it's you know it's almost sixty years that they had had without um, the monarchy really pushing it. But I guess it's just because things hadn't gone well. So it's not yeah. surprising they thought, oh, you know, and they can kind of think in rose tinted glasses of the days when we had powerful, strong kings who led us through. I mean, it's kind, it's not. It's, it's kind of analogous to what's happening nowadays. People want to rally around big, strong men because they think, you know, very divided. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with um, with uh, Germany, um, sort of the, with the, the, the Reichstag, because it was all this divided politics and all these politicians, you know, arguing with each other and no one was really leading. And so you have a strong man to come back. But weirdly, this strong man wasn't like other strong men. He was quite a nice dude. And actually the policies he oh. enacted after his coup were very liberal and very forward-thinking. He restricted the use of the death penalty. He removed torture as a way of um, extracting information. He fixed Sweden's economy, which is pretty impressive. Um, wow. He had, you know, extended liberty of the press, extended religious liberty, all these things we kind of imagine to be democratic, sort of people's reform, was actually coming from this king, this kind of enlightened ruler. An enlightened despot. That's quite an interesting like mixture. You don't normally get that. Yeah, I think this is always the problem with absolute monarchies, though, <laughs> because like, if you have, if you get a good one, and okay, good in, good in, um, in um, what do you call it? 
Um, Air quotation. <laughs> in quotation marks. Um, yeah. But seriously, like, he, it just shows you, you can do it for good. It's just a question of... I'm not condoning the absolute monarchy <laughs> system. I'm just saying it's, it's such it's a lottery. The thing that it's, when only one person is in charge, you are entirely dependent on what they think. And if what they think are forward, progressive-thinking, liberal ideas, then you get a forward-thinking, progressive-liberal country, which is kind of, kind of what they got. And actually, lots of the wow. people really liked it. But there was one group who really didn't like it, and that was the nobles who'd been kicked out of power... And and he actually had quite had succeeded where they had been failing for the last years. He was very restrained when it came to foreign policy, which is actually where they'd lost so much money and so much land and just so much of their reputation had gone because of failed wars. At the beginning of his reign, he really kept himself back. He like rebuilt their navy, but just kind of as a show of force as opposed to actually using it. And so when the parliament, um, which was called the Riksdag, when they met again in 1778, so he'd been in power for about uh, six, six, seven years by then, he basically got to stand up in front of Parliament and go, look how great I've been doing. You know, he could he could kind of so look how great I've been. This Everything's been going wrong. And it really annoyed all the nobles. And so this sort of growing discontentment uh, that started with the coup was building within the noble class. And actually, by the time it got to about 10 years later in 1786, they were getting downright mutinous and they were really not happy with him. And he was unhappy with them because they were being so uh, there was such big opposition to him. And they had support from Russia, who were kind of meddling in their What the nobles did. Yes. yeah, so yeah, Russia's yeah. been meddling in in like <laughs> in other politics in different countries. At this time of history, Russia's meddling with a lot. All of its neighbours have these sort of the the um the parliament before um the age of enlightenment. The age of enlightenment. The parliament before Gustav came in um, had two main party who were called the Hats and the Nightcaps, and I can't <laughs> remember which one. It's not it's like the Whigs and the Tories, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's actually so, yeah, a similar time. Hit. Yeah. It's yeah no it's, I assume it's kind of it's this kind of idea it's probably like sort of nicknames as opposed to you know they're not they're not doing it to try and get more votes they're doing it just as what they're called it's kind of a guys club more than a um because again this is more this isn't really like houses of parliament it's not like our house of commons it's more like our house of lords it's not you yeah, know, well, these people which aren't is really what, elected but that's what at the time if you'd gone over to the UK at the time they would absolutely have had the same thing they were controlled by the yes. lords the lords was the higher house yes. at the time well, that's what, our, that's what the estates are. So in other places, they had four estates or three estates. In the UK, we've kind of only had two, we had two that were kind of grouped together. So the lords were the noble class and the clergy. And then the House yeah. of Commons were the sort of merchant class. And then technically the peasants, although the peasants, you know. Never got, got into power until a lot later. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so at this time, you know, our, our government was run mostly by the House of Lords, whereas now that's their kind of... I mean, they still have power, but they're kind of an afterthought compared to the House they're, of Commons. They're now a revisioning chamber. Anyway, let's not get yeah. into the <laughs> English politi- political system. We could be here all night. No, but like I said, yeah, so so Russia was been, had supported one of the parties and they had a lot of pro-Russian support against the king. So in the Swedish parliament, they were very anti-Gustav. And right. this actually led him to probably make one of his bigger mistakes although it's hard to see if it was a mistake he decided to start a war so he went against his early sort of ethos of um of being against war and being prudent and being restrained and he decided to start an unprovoked war against russia of all people to kind oh. of suppress his opposition within his own country because as soon as 
Sweden declares war, it's sort of hard for those politicians to be pro-Russia because you're I now see. pro the enemy. So it's kind of a difficult um, situation for them to put in. And he apparently they also got, Gustav got lobbied by other powers in Europe who were worried about Russia's sort of expansion that was happening at the time. They'd, Russia was at war with um, the Ottoman Empire and had just won a bunch of, a string of victories. And, you know, the Ottoman Empire is a big sort of um, power resisting against Russia. And if they start yeah. falling away, who knows what Russia will do later. So the other countries, so mainly Britain, uh, Prussia and the Netherlands, sort of lobby Gustav, you know, to sort of hint that it would be a good idea. Although they don't actually support him when it comes to the actual war. Of course they don't. Which is, Typical. yeah, so it's, you know, they don't really want to get their hands dirty, but it would be great if you dived in there. How old was um, Gustav, by the way, when he came to the throne? I forgot to ask. Was he a young man, an old man? Where was he on the... He is, let's see, born in 1746. So in 1771, he was 26? Five? Five. 25, 25? I yeah. think. 25, yeah. yeah, he would have been 25. So a young guy. So that's wow, probably yeah. why he was so liked by the people, because he's this young, charismatic, regal leader compared to all these old politicians who've been taking everyone's um, money and doing a terrible job with it. So you can kind of see why he'd be seen as this sort of hero returning to the country from being in Paris and yeah. you know setting the country to rights, restoring order, kicking out all the corrupt politicians... So you yeah. can kind of see draining why. the actually, swamp. They... Ex... <laughs> yeah, draining Sorry, the swamp. Not, not to he... use Trump rhetoric, but anyway. Although on. what's interesting is because it's kind of hard for him to drain the swamp because the the swamp are all um, in there, not because they've been voted in, but because the because they inherited it, because they are that that's that's who they are. They can't without you know banishing them. You have to remove their nobility, which is a much bigger move than just kicking them out of government. Yeah, no, of course. So, so you had to behead them or exile them or disinherit them somehow. Yeah, exactly. Um, so he starts this war with Russia, kind of egged on by other leaders, and it's a kind of success. They actually have Sweden has its best um, naval victory ever in the Battle of Svenskund, um, ah, where a okay. Russian blockade was, which a much larger force was completely decimated by um, Swedish navy. And you so know what? The see... Russians. The Russians are rubbish at sea. Absolutely rubbish. That's a bit well, of a blanket statement, but they can't use their um their their Russian winter, isn't that? Because that's what every that's what Napoleon was defeated by, that was what Hitler was defeated by. It was their it wasn't their men, it was their it was their winters that defeated these. And it's not as effective at sea, I guess, because Well, ice would stop you, but it would stop the defense. That's as a well. That's quite an intense winter, though. If they've got ice defending them, then I think, yeah, no. Much. But um, I assume they weren't able to use ice again. I mean, that would be... That'd, oh, be, that'd, cool. be, a, that'd be a cool battle. battle. Yeah. I don't know if there's ever been a naval battle around icebergs. I assume not. It'd be too dangerous. And I don't know, maybe actually. A few maybe a few a ships, maybe a couple ships fighting each other near the Arctic, fighting for claiming the Arctic or something. Yeah, maybe. I can imagine a Viking, some sort of Viking thing going on. That's true. That's true. So um, this war um, takes place um, and it's kind of a success, but the nobles decide that they're really not happy with this. And so they they create this um, Anjala conspiracy where they send a letter to Catherine the Great of Russia, who's who's the leader of Russia at that time, saying, we're not happy with our king. Um, we want you. We want peace with you guys. What can we do to help do this? They kind of they're 
complete I mean, massive treason. Um, and this really shows how far they're willing to go to oppose their king. Because unfortunately, it doesn't go very far. Gustav finds out about conspiracy and uses he he goes back imprisons all the conspirators and he uses this as a reason to further decrease the power of the nobility and enact the act of union and security which gives him sole power to declare war because the war he just declared he was supposed to ask the nobles first but he didn't which is perhaps uh. why they were so annoyed but now because of this conspiracy and they're trying to undermine him he's used that as a reason to hammer them further and take even more power He's a clever he, boy. He, he is well, a clever he, boy. he is a clever boy. However, there was an issue with this because this has now led the nobles to think, okay, we can't do this underhandedly. And they decide to create a new conspiracy in which Brilliant. they will attempt to assassinate the king. And that's where this story gets particularly interesting for us and for this podcast. Oh, looking forward to it. Right. That sounded weird. I'm not looking forward to the assassination. <laughs> I, I mean, like, the, the plot, the machinations are interesting. Well, it's already happened. You can't look forward to the actual assassination. So um, <laughs> yeah, you, could be excited, you could be excited for the story. Okay. So there are sort of five main um, conspirators who are leading this. There, were, there was probably a, a couple dozen of them involved, but there were fine, five main men who we'll look at. Okay. The, so the leader, or well, most likely the leader, it's hard to tell exactly, but most likely the leader was a man named Baron Karl Frederick Petchlin. And he was this sort of military officer turned politician who had gained a huge amount of power during the Age of Freedom. So he's one of the proponents of this time where the nobles kind of took power. He was actually even nicknamed the General of the Riksdag. So he's kind wow. of this sort of... So if there was another... If there was a top politician who could oppose the king, it would kind of be him. Um, if there had been some resistance against the king, it would have most likely been coming from him, but he is the top dog of, okay. um, of the politicians. And then we have three more politicians who are just sort of similar kind of high-level politicians called... Claes Frederick Horn, Adolf Ludwig Ribbing, and Karl Pontus Lillihorn. I'm really enjoying these names. Oh, I'm that really... last one, Karl Pontus Lillihorn. That's Karl a Pontus brilliant name. Lillihorn. I mean, they've got fantastic names. It's just really great. Um, Doesn't sound very the... formidable, Karl Pontus Lillihorn. None of them. None of them hugely do. I don't. I mean, Baron Karl Frederick Petchlin sounds quite Baron Petchlin. I mean, if you've got yeah, Baron okay. at the beginning of any name, it's kind of sounds impressive but yeah you've got a horn a ribbing and then a lily horn you're yeah. not really thinking these are the most terrifying individuals are you really i'm imagining more lo lots of silk and lace and sort of wigs rather than you know <laughs> well, swords actually, and things if like you, that you could probably imagine the sort of things more because we'll put it in the um instagram but because i've got a i've got a few images and one of them is what gustav was wearing during his coup but it probably shows you the sort of clothing that you know the noble class would be wearing at this time and it is very it's very if you've seen hamilton it's what they wear in that you know it's okay. it's that kind of red coat you know lo lots of buttons and a very regal look to them so yeah it's not quite the if we're comparing it to the sakari or the assassins of masayaf they're not quite as threatening as um well no because we're in the age of we're in the age of sort of chivalry aren't we it's sort of a it's all about the gentleman yeah. gentlemanly look yes there's a there's a there's an element of um of kind of what's right and what's what's to do um, it's very sort act. of three musketeers times yes yeah yeah it's definitely very three three musketeers except these are politicians they're not cool 
So I mean, the the Baron was a military <laughs> officer. So I imagine I don't I don't I know I haven't found a picture of him, but I'm imagining him kind of big with a thick moustache, and I'm basically thinking of like a of a British um, colonial general or something like that. Okay, um, yeah. Just because he's Baron Carl Frederick Petulin, I'm imagining kind of a burly guy. I don't. Or like the um, the, the fat musketeer Porthos. He, Porthos, in yeah. my head, has got it looks a bit like him. <laughs> Although, I, actually, what I'm actually thinking of is um, the is he the major uh, Stephen Fry's character in Blackadder in the Blackadder Goes Forth? Oh the, no, he's the a ma- general. Is he major? Was he general? General Melchard, I think. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of a bit, a bit silly, but kind of in charge. Um, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Bit, Although to be uh, fair, I have no yeah. reason to think that. I'm just imagining it. I just it's, it's fun to think of that way. It is. It is. Add yeah. some color. But so the fifth man. So we have the so we have uh, General Petulin, uh, kind of the leader. We have the three other politicians, um, and then the fifth man is a man named Jakob Johann Ankarstrom, who isn't a politician. He is actually he's another military guy who actually served okay. within the king's regiment um, during the during the war during the Russia war with Russia. However, he had been charged, although not actually convicted, of treasonous slander towards the king, Ooh. and he had been like sort of chewed out of the military and it's this guy who the conspirators see as their perfect man to be the trigger man to be the one that uh, does the deed because he's so this, this guy is... you know he's okay. he's not a politician so he doesn't have kind of his own stake in it but he is he's not a fan of the king he's a military man so he knows what he's doing he knows how to carry a gun um, and he won't be recognized either no no, no one's watching re- for him He's not. He's not really, and he's kind of, to be honest, a bit of a sort of scapegoat for them. You know, he's this guy they can kind of use um, without really incriminating themselves. He's expendable. He is. He's expe- Yeah, he's expendable. I mean, we don't know what their connection with him. Maybe they really did want to try and protect him, and they just saw him as their kind of their man they can use, their heroic figure who'd already rallied against the king and had been punished for it. Um, but I guess that also means they can trust him. You know, they they, yeah. they trust he's not he's not going to betray them. He's not going to. Well, he's still an officer, out. isn't he? So in 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 their sort of eyes, you, you can trust any man who's an officer, mm-hmm. sort of idea. And he's and he's giving he's been given orders by um, Baron Petrolet, who is also a military officer, who would probably be higher rank than him. So he can kind of you know, there's an there's an issue there. You know, shooting your king would be obviously <laughs> being a traitor to your uniform. But if it's your if it's your if it's your military officer, maybe a general who's telling you this. You can write. You can probably fix it in your head. You're probably more okay with it because you're seeing this as, you know, the the military resisting against a tyrannical king. Yeah, he's just following orders. He could always yes. say kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So it's this is the kind of group. There are some other people involved, um, but they're not really listed and not really named, and I don't think they get in too much trouble. Sure. But the conspirators are inspired by the events of the French Revolution, which is just about started by now. So this is in 1792. So ah, so well into Louis the... XVI is still alive, I believe. Um, ju- just, just about, yeah. Just about. So, but but which is which is really interesting because it means they were inspired by the French Revolution, but more so than the French Revolution is because they're going further. They are already planning to kill. So unless they knew what the plan was, which I think might be difficult given the chaos that was happening in France, yeah. they saw this as. But what they saw it as as a way of getting rid of the monarchy and replacing it with re-establishing parliamentary control and re-establishing yes. their power um, and just removing the king from the from the equation except they're willing to go a step further and actually kill the king. Yeah, that's pretty, a big step. pretty bleak. 
But it, what I think is really interesting is that you know how you were saying that Gustav had um, start he'd become king in Paris, and so he had spent his his time being educated maybe in in Paris or at least getting to understand the mili- the, the whole situation out there. He is also it's Paris. Sorry, France is sort of playing both sides of this in terms of although great, yep. Paris is great for um, the king because he's now a much more enlightened man and he ruled quite well liberally. Now the conspirators are using France as a uh, an example of what to do with the king. So it's, both it's the king and the, his enemies are both kind of using France as an example. But the the yeah. two sides of the coin, yeah, yeah, yeah. So France is really kind of the inspiration for a lot of this, I guess. Um, France, typical. Well, everyone's interested in what the French are doing. So, um, so yeah, yeah. so. So that's the plan. And they decide a perfect time to carry out this assassination um, would be a masked ball that is set to take place in Stockholm at the Royal Opera House, which the king is planning to attend. So it's this kind of perfect opportunity. Everyone's in masks. Oh lots my of crowds God. of people. So it's kind of perfect. This is such a cliche. Well, not a cliche. I guess because we've grown up in Hollywood sort of times. A masked ball is so sort of like, really? <laughs> You'd think if I was invited to a masked ball and I was a king, I'd be like, hmm, might give that one a miss. I don't know. <laughs> but you're this kind of, you know, there's a certain element that he might have believed his legend. You know, he's been, he's just kind of won a fantastic victory against Russia. Uh, I think the war ends in kind of peace negotiations that turn out quite well for Sweden. Um, at least they're not a staggering losses compared to what the parliament had done in the years previous to his reign. So he's yeah. probably kind of thinking, you know, I'm kind of a great guy. I, I I ruled so well for those few years. And then I had my first war was pretty much a great success. And I've used this conspiracy to smash down my opponents. He's probably feeling a bit confident and a bit lax. He's not really worried about himself. And how long has he been ruling by the time that this mass ball happens, by the way? So it's 1792. So 20 years. Because he's 20, 20 years, 20 years, 21 years. Yeah, because it's in yeah, 1771 when he technically ascends. But the I mean, the, his coup is in 1772. So he's had absolute power for 20 years. God, that is a that's an extraordinary amount of time. So now he's sort of in his middle ages. He's he's what he he was 25 when he came to the throne. So he's yeah. now 45. Yeah, he's so mid 40s. Yeah. Uh, okay. Interesting. Okay. So Sorry, said, I keep so, interrupting. You know, he, Carry on. And he's, oh no, 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 it's fine. But yeah, no, he's that kind of confident, and you know, and you know, he's a he's a fun guy. He'd like to go to mass balls. I assume he'd probably been to a hundred before now, and obviously hadn't been assassinated. So <laughs> he's probably feeling fine. So, on the night um, of the ball, which is the sixteenth of March, nineteen seventeen ninety. Oh, I keep saying nineteen <laughs> every time. I naturally say if I'm saying a teen, I naturally say nineteen because it's just more <laughs> So, on the night of the ball, um, which is the 16th of March, 1792, the sort of members of the conspiracy gather at the home of Baron Karl Frederick Petulant, which is kind of giving a hint, it probably is he's leading it, it's at his house, unless it was just nearby. Um, So they they meet to go over the plan and to just kind of discuss what the plan is after his death, because they want a quick um, overthrowing of power. You know, just killing the king isn't enough. They have to suddenly sort of take power, take over the military, take over all these sort of um, keys to power that um, have the, the, the king running of state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to. It needs to be a smooth transition because if, as soon as it starts to slow down, things get difficult, and they don't want a civil war. They don't want to. They don't want to kill anyone else. Really, they want to kind of protect their interests and not be seen 
um, as these villains taking over. And you know, there's, you know, there might be a certain amount of patriotism in this. They really might not like the king for legitimate reasons, and they just they want to have a bloodless coup just like he did, where they don't sacrifice any more Swedish lives. Well, almost bloodless, anyway. Yeah, almost. But yeah, they they want a slightly more blood than than what he did. Um, so, and then across town, uh, the king is just sitting down for dinner at the opera house with some of his friends. Um, one of his close friends, uh, Count Hans Henrik von Essen, um, who will stay oh, with us throughout the story. Seems he's, like a good he's, guy. He's, he sat with him, and they're you know they're lounging around, they're chilling out, and the king actually receives a letter from this this boy runs up. I don't know if he gets the boy pops the king probably gives it to one of his men and he gets given this letter that's actually from one of the conspirators it's from no. Count Pontus Lilyhorn the guy who you thought No Lilyhorn my favorite <laughs> it, it was Lilyhorn yeah so Lilyhorn at the last moment regretted his action and suddenly wanted to save the king Oh actually, yes I can, I can read the letter because I mean you'd think there's a certain urgency here this is the night of the planned assassination you'd think the, the letter he sent would be you're about to be killed get out now but that's that's not <laughs> yeah. the way that's not the way Lilyhorn do Lilyhorn wants to wants to embellish his his letter to the king so he I writes, like this guy go on to the king with the greatest humility pray allow an unknown whose pen is guided by tactfulness and the voice of conscience dare take the liberty to inform you capitalized you because he's the king with Sorry. all possible sincerity that certain individuals exist both in the province and here in the city that only breathe hatred and revenge against you, indeed to the extreme of wanting to shorten your days through murder. Which is a <laughs> long way to say someone wants to kill you. Shorten your days. Not, yeah. not end your days, shorten them. <laughs> shorten your days through... I mean, it's, there's kind of a dramatic... I can, I feel like you want, he might have put a dot, dot, dot to add a dramatic pause there. Yeah. Shorten your days through murder. But it goes on. They are greatly upset to see this not happening at the last masquerade, but they rejoice at the tidings of seeing that there will be a new one today. So obviously they had thought about doing it at a similar masquerade before, Ooh. but had maybe not... Obviously they hadn't tried and failed. They had obviously just decided not to because of the wrong conditions. So mm. that's interesting. So they had tried before. Bandits do not like lanterns. There is nothing more serviceable for an assassination than darkness and disguise. I dare then to appeal to you by everything that is holy in this world to postpone this damnable ball to such times are more positive for your present as well as coming benefit. I don't really understand that last sentence, to be honest, but I, I promise that is what it says. I think that he's trying to say that um, just just move it to another day and then you might not die, essentially. Well, yeah, and he's saying, you know, that they that darkness and disguise are an assassin's friend and so a masked ball is not something you should be doing right now. You should do balls where you can see everyone's face, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it, 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 it's a That's really great, it's a great letter. But it's, yeah, it unsigned. So he's not, you know, he it's not... He's doing it, which perhaps is the reason, because the king reads this letter and ignores it. He says, I've, I receive many letters like this. And he probably does, to be honest. Yeah. Um, people just trying to control his movements and stuff like that. Or, although maybe maybe Lilyhorn has been writing him letters over and over again for the last few months, trying to convince <laughs> him not to do things. Um, this is just the yeah, one so we he, have, yeah. So he throws it aside. And his friend, Count Essen, 
doesn't think it's a good idea. He begs the king to believe in this and to to go home and not go to the ball. But the king is comfortable with his own security and just assumes everything's going to be fine. Yeah. So okay. he's unsw- so unswayed. He doffs his no wait doffs the other one. He dons his cape <laughs> and mask um, and makes his way to the ballroom with Count Essen on his arm, which is a kind of a power move. Although actually. His power move gets even better because the first thing he does is he goes to the opera box, to his own opera box, and stands fully on display in front of an entire crowd of people. Oh, I think the ball. Yes. I, I assume the ball is down below, kind of where the seats of an opera. I don't really where know the, the stalls the, are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I assume because it's a it's a it's, it's a dancing ball. It's not just the opera. Um, and he does this because then he says to his friend, "This would be a perfect opportunity to shoot me," and they haven't. Which means and he then gets shot. <laughs> is this what he you're doesn't about get to say? shot. Think, well, the, he stands the out there. Though, yeah, that would be quite ironic. But it's funny. But I guess you know, pistols back then, guns back then, they're not that accurate. They're not really going to be able to um, to take him out from a distance. So they no, that's enough. not when they go for him. Um, and unfortunately for the king, he is although everyone's masked, it's super obvious which one is the king because he's wearing this star on his breast that's the order the royal order of the seraphim which is this swedish chivalric order that was invented by his father and he'd been given it so it's this sparkly silver star and actually you can see a picture of it we'll put it in the instagram it's like a massive target saying i'm here shoot me it's an x over his it's not actually over his heart but it's over his chest kind of where his heart is it's a really and it's just so you know he's no, he's not worried at all. He thinks, no. and it's kind of—it is this kind of power move, this show of impressive force, because he's, because he thinks he's fine. Well, fair enough. But he's—he's he's he is mistaken. <laughs> He's—he is very mistaken in that thought. So he comes down from the opera box, and then he makes his way um, through the sort of foyer to get to the stage. But while he does, he is suddenly surrounded by men in black cloaks and white masks and he's kind of separated from his friend and his other courtiers and a man sounds like a flash mob it does it's a bit like a flash mob (laughs) um but a man steps out in front of him and says bonjour be mask and supposedly it's kind of like a dig that he's kind of a french king um Ah, and when and as he's distracted with that jacob johan and karlstrom sneaks behind him, pulls out a pistol that he had hidden away, and shoots the king in the back. In so the back? A, yeah. So it's not it's it's oh. not a it's not a dramatic, you know, stabbing. It is a very sly sneaking up behind him and just point blank shoots him in the back. That is just not on, is it? I mean, if you're gonna do it, especially in this sort of day and age that they're they're in, you do it from the front, surely. It's just a bit it's just a bit but they want it to know, succeed, a bit rude. and they're, wor- they're worried that they're going to they're gonna get caught. And that's the you know, and it's kind of, maybe it's a sort of the conspirator saying this. We don't actually know which one who it was who said this phrase, "Bonjour, be mask." Um, and so presumably that's the kind of that's the affront. That's the that's the sort of showing it. You are kind insult. of doing it face okay. to face, but it's your ally who's actually snuck behind him and shot him in the back. Right. Okay. Yeah. So how? So does he die there? Is that it? Well. So, so so far for the conspirators, this has gone well. But from yeah. this moment, everything starts to go downhill. Tits up, okay. yeah. Because the king doesn't instantly die; he doesn't even instantly fall. He actually stands there, which is 
I mean, it's kind of that thing where, you know, gunshots actually wouldn't knock you over. But back then, a big musket ball, I mean, it's still a pistol, so it would be kind of small. But yeah, it's not necessarily going to knock you over. There's not enough force to push you over. It will just go through you. And so there's this loud bang, but the king doesn't fall. And that freaks out. Um, and Karlstrom, who's just shot him, and he drops his pistol, as well as his spare, which oh. apparently has spare, um, and he just sort of blends back into the crowd. And then and no, it's, there's too much confusion. Everyone's in masks. No one's really sure what's going on. And so the conspirators actually manage to kind of blend into the crowd. And everyone's running around. The king eventually does sort of stumble over and he's caught by his friend, the count, who takes him away to a side room. Actually, the room he was dining in earlier was the room where he'd received that letter telling you you're about to get shot. He now returns to that room oh, after being God. shot. So there's a lot of this dripping in irony, this story. I was going to say... Um, but the all the the sort of guard come in. They order everyone to take off their mask and they record everyone's name who was at the ball. So all the conspirators are forced to record that they were at the ball. There's no way of getting around. They can't. They have no. They no longer have an alibi or anything like that. Um, and what's really bad is because he doesn't die and he's taken away. He's eventually taken to the palace, but he's still living. And while he's still alive, he's still king, which means they can't enact their revolution because oh, if they go no. to be, if they go to the if they go to parliament, if they go to the military and say we're now in charge, they go well you're not because the king's not dead. If they could go and saying the king is dead, there's you know we've we killed over. him. It's as we've a killed him. You'd believe it, but because he's still alive and he goes on to govern for another thirteen days, which oh, completely ruins all their plans. The, and because of this, the conspiracy the conspiracy starts to fall apart, um, and eventually, by the time he's died, he has become a martyr to his people. And sadly, he dies of sepsis, so it's probably oh, a, that's quite a very common. Death. It's very yes. common because the wounds would never be cleaned properly, and people would no, die from no, disease. No. So, so a very horrible death, and likely he wouldn't. I mean, even though he was governing for those thirteen days, it's more of a symbol of power. His people would be able to govern on his behalf. And because he's still alive, they still have authority. Yeah, he still has the royal seals. He can probably write his will and make sure that he gets like the right, like the Henry, was it Von Essen? He could be like helpful in mm. trying to negotiate um, the transition yeah. of power for his son. Uh, that's really, it's not ideal being shot, but it sounds like he did pretty well. Yeah, while he's still there, the status quo continues and his 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 absolute monarchy can continue while he's still kind of alive and still kicking. Yeah. So what's really cool is we actually have a photo of the pistol and the knives and the mask that Anne Karlstrom wore, which is really, oh, really? weird. I mean, that's definitely a first for this. I might be one of the only ones, I think, for this entire series where we can see... I mean, it's assumed. I don't know if it's 100%, um, but we'll have on there. And can you see them? They're at the, it's the final image. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm on it. But it's, I'm on it. It's really interesting, and it's really like cool just to see exactly. I mean, it's these great old timey, you know, flintlock pistols, and he also had knives. I guess just in case he needed to fight off people. I'm not entirely sure what the reason to have the knives were. I guess just he's in also case. he's still got two files there as well, which is really strange next to the knives. Yeah, I don't know, maybe yeah. they're for sharpening the knife. I don't know. Interesting though, I, and I think the the mask is brilliant. It survived very well considering it's three hundred years old or two hundred and fifty yeah. years old. Yeah. yeah, and actually just above him, which we'll also include, um, we've got the guy, the, the image of Jakob Johan and Karström. So yeah, look like. I assume that's a beard. That's not just a shadow. Yeah, so it will kind be. Of a beardy, beardy looking guy. It doesn't really look like a very rich, well-to-do noble. It looks um, like a bearded version of like Draco Malfoy. 
with the hair. Yeah, yeah, it does have a bit of that, doesn't it? It, it what's quite it's, it's sad though because he doesn't look like too unpleasant of a guy, and I worry that he may have been used by these other nobles because it's unlikely he would have got a lot of power out of it. I mean, if they had succeeded, he may have been considered quite a, like a, a a famous man. Although there may have been a bit of you know afterwards the the people who took power even though they took power they would then condemn the man who actually killed the king because it's an illegal act and so he may have got kind of a harsh time of it yeah but i mean he still did shoot the king which you know you shoot the king you shoot anyone that's a bad idea yeah it is a bad idea okay so what happens to lily horn so lily horn um the the boy who brought him his letter actually leads the the investigators to Lilyhorn. So he gets sort of um, dobbed in by the boy he sent to the letter. And as soon as Lilyhorn is caught, he is deeply repentant and gives <laughs> up all his friends. He tells the investigators all about the conspiracy um, and kind of throws he throws them all under the bus. He's feeling awful at this time because he really did try and save the king's life. And now he's failed. But I mean, I don't know. I, I, I like Lilyhorn, but like you already were... Maybe he was coerced. Maybe it was peer pressure that led him to wanting to commit treason. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's hard to say exactly. But yeah, he definitely tried to save him. Um, and Karlstrom, yeah. he he leave, He is able to leave without being caught. However, when they pick up... Because they have his guns. And they take his guns to a local gunsmith. And the gunsmith recognises them as ones he's recently restored and fixed to make sure they're working properly. Oh, and so no. he points out... He leads the investigators to Anne Karlstrom. So he and Karlstrom gets caught, although and actually he he pleads guilty, but doesn't give away the conspiracy. So he's actually caught first, and so they're not quite sure to, who to catch. He stays sort of strong. Um, he doesn't, you know, try and say it wasn't him. He kind no. of goes down, but he doesn't uh, he doesn't throw his conspirators under the bus. But then Lilyhorn does. So after <laughs> that, the whole thing falls apart. Um, Baron Karl Frederick Petrlin is condemned and imprisoned. Um, in the fortress of Varberg, uh, where actually he dies. He ends up dying later. Okay. Um, the other two uh, nobles, um, Claes Frederick Horn and Adolf Ludwig Ribbing, are both sentenced to death, but they are then pardoned and just sent into exile. And I think they both change their names later. Interesting. Kind of so they're kind of... Essentially, um, and Karstrom is kind of thrown over as the scapegoat. Because he's the one who actually did the deed, there's no way he is, can be allowed to... So was he killed? Execution. Yes. Yeah. So he is deprived of his estates and nobility privilege. So he was a so he was a low no noble. A lower noble. Quite, yeah. Yeah. He wasn't quite as high up, but he's uh, he's deprived of all of that. He's sentenced to be chained in irons for three days and publicly flogged, then executed. On the execution day, they actually cut off his right um, hand, which is the one that shot the king, and then he's beheaded, and then his corpse is quartered. So it's a very nasty end. Oh my god, can you imagine having your hand chopped off? I mean, execution is still going to be awful if you don't have your hand severed Mm. from your body, but can you imagine, just imagine that, the executioner takes your hand, probably with the axe or whatever, was Mm. he beheaded did you say? Yeah, so with an axe. So then you'll probably, if you're Anne Carstrom, you're probably holding your stump like, oh my god, I've Mm. just lost my hand and what a terrible way to go. I mean, no, you shouldn't shoot anyone, so fair play, but like, I I don't uh, think this is a good way to die. In any no, time, it's right. Ra- it's rather horrible. It's rather horrible. And actually, not, not most of them don't really get out of it. Lilyhorn kind of gets a bit away with it because he did. He, I think, by giving up his conspirators, um, he by took the plea deal. 
you know, and, and the fact that the reason they found him is because they traced him back through his letter, which tried to save the king. So he's kind of, he's vaguely protected. And like I said, they really try and use and cast him as a, as a scapegoat because he's the one who did the deed. Um, and there's also yeah. a lot of political power in all of this. And it's easier for them to just get rid of the, you know, remove these nobles, but don't kill them because they don't want retribution. Um, sure. So imprisoning yeah. them or exiling them works. Um, but they don't want to mess with that. Whereas this guy... He's, he hasn't got a lot of people backing him, and because no. he is the one who killed the king, they really need to show show a, a show of force, show a show of force. If I was Ancaster, um, I'd say Sepsis actually killed the king, not me. That's a good point. That yeah, go yeah. <laughs> wouldn't be a very good argument, but um, yeah, but yeah. So that's Brilliant. the story. A, a kind of a big failure, really. I mean, they do kill the king, but it's it it's a disaster for them. Um, yeah, Sweden goes on with an absolute monarchy, and they don't take control. Most of the conspirators are either banished or die in prison or are executed. It is it, it doesn't work. It's a, it's it's a large failure, and it kind of unlike what is going to happen in France. These are nobles going against a popular king, so he so yeah. they don't you know they don't have the support of the people, unlike in these other places. So they are such seen as such bad guys, such villains, who are these. Um, remnants of a of an old age where we were ruled by corrupt politicians, and these guys are trying <laughs> to kill our great new king, our wonderful king. So terrible. Yeah, thing. not brilliant. Not brilliant. So let's move on to uh, a closer look. Um, this week, I think we've both looked into that. Yet, so nineteenth. Still do it. <laughs> Because it has a nine in it. It's because it still has a nine in it. I might include all these mistakes because it's funny. <laughs> do, do. No, definitely um, do. So, because the assassination took place in 1792. Got it right that time. Well done. <laughs> um, and so we thought it would be a good idea to look at the rest of the world during 1792. Because like we said at the beginning, this is a remarkable time throughout the world. The whole world is being... What's that, what do they say in, in the Hamilton? The world turned upside down. It kind of is that. I mean, this is... It's a world in flux. Yeah, it is a world, especially changing. Europe, um, and actually that's where we're looking at Europe, and then the New World, which is kind of like, you know, Europe plus at this point. Um, <laughs> and so, so, do you want to start? I think you, you've taken a look into France. Yeah, you? sure. Yeah, yeah, I will. Um, first of all, seventeen ninety two. This is my favorite part of history, really, because because of everything you've just said. It's such an interesting time. Favorite to focus over on. over Templar times. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, really? I, I actually went to uni wanting to study this time period and um, found out that none of the professors liked me very much for this time period. <laughs> they, they, they gave oh, me really right. bad marks. Liked you, liked you for this time period, not... Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, in terms no, of like... You were just hated by all the entire history department. <laughs> no, no, but what I, I found solace in the medieval department and so I became go, a, yeah. a sort of convert to medievalist history. But I, I went to uni wanting to study this and I still haven't really, which is a shame. But... Um, so, yeah, so for the closer look this week, as you say, we're going to look into the year of 1792. And that, for anyone who has studied French history, is the uh, a very dark chapter of, of time. It's known as the Reign of Terror. Um, wow, this is the Reign of Terror. Oh, yeah, cool. 1792 and 1793. So um, in 1793, in the January, I think it was the 20th from memory, Louis Sixteenth is beheaded. So you're right mm. that Gustav dies just before... Gustav III wow, is yeah. executed in... When, when's the execution? Well, sorry, not executed. Assassinated in March, was it? 
March. Yeah, 29th of March. That's when he. Right. Yeah, that's when he dies. That's when he dies. So it's 13 days later. So the assassination attempt is what the 13th. 16th. 16th. 16th of March. <laughs> this isn't a mass podcast. It's all right. No. So no, so but this is in the run up. So in France, this isn't quite there yet. But um, quite a okay. few things happen. In fact, it's a remarkably uh, important year as well as a very bloody one. Uh, it starts off pretty mm. well. Uh, the new for the French Republic, the newly established republic, declares war on Austria in in April, which is so a good is, start. So this is the republic at this time. There's the, uh, the the king is still around, but it is he's in, in prison. Control. He's yeah, well, pretty, well, he's under house arrest, yeah. And he does well, try I mean, and flee. Because that leads into why the, the conspirators were inspired by the French Revolution. Because at that time, they had removed the king in one way or another and had taken power and were now declaring yeah. war on other countries. Yeah, exactly. So this is exactly that. And um, they go on to declare war on loads of countries, Russia, Britain, uh, lots of Italy, <laughs> the Principality of Savoy. They, they, just go, go, a bit, bit they go a bit mad with power, yeah. <laughs> they do. They just kick out at everyone around them, which is fair enough. Um, so in April, they declare war on Austria. Uh, then five days after this, the very first victim of the guillotine met his end. Wow. And, uh, yeah, so this is the very beginning of that. When people think of the French Revolution, quite often the first image that comes to mind uh, is the, the guillotine. You know. Yeah, 100%. Anyway, so this first man to meet his end was actually a highwayman called Nicolas Pelletier, which I really like the okay. name of. But he, he mm. dies in April 1792. In the same month, um, the French national anthem, La Marseillaise, was composed and is still oh. the anthem today. So again, a very productive month in April. Very, uh, very productive month, yeah. I guess it's kind of, it would kind of be, you know, the first few months of the French Republic you know they want to get a lot done they need a lot of big ticket items to to show look at look how great we are you know and they're probably yeah. going a bit drunk with power yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely um then by the, um by the summer in August the major event is at the Tuileries Palace uh, which is where King Louis the 16th and his wife Marie Antoinette are still living but they can't really leave well that is actually stormed by the French revolutionary forces and was and they were taken into official arrest. So then they were properly arrested. So they were kind of under house arrest to begin with, um, and just not allowed to leave. And now they are officially under arrest of the, it, the republic. It's very interesting, really. King Louis tries his best to um, placate the the revolutionary forces, and probably acts a bit like Gustav. He he's like, no, 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 no. I'm like on your side. It's not me. It's it's like the nobility. But a lot and more so unsuccessfully. That, well, no, because it does work. Initially, it works, which is why oh. he's still around. Because officially, the um the start date of the of the French Revolution is 1789. So by this point, you're three years in, and the king is still a king and still living at the Tuileries Palace in France, uh, in Paris. So, you know, he's done pretty well, but now now it all goes tits up. So in <laughs> August, that happens. And then finally, in September, things start to really hot up in terms of the reign of terror. Um, there's a large massacre of the clergy. You know how you were talking earlier, Patrick, about the, the estates? Um, yes. In in France, the the third estate were the peasantry, and then you had the second estate, which was the clergy, and then the first estate, which was the king. So they were basically working their way up ah. through, and they get <laughs> to the clergy, and they they blame the clergy for stealing money and all the rest of it. So they massacre three bishops and two hundred um, priests by a, a French mob. Jeez. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, on top of that, uh, still, it was a really bad day for the monarchy. Uh, six men break into a warehouse and steal the French crown jewels as well. Wow. Yeah, so not a good day. Not a good year to be a French monarchist. No, I, I think it might get worse for them, though. I think as years go, it's the next year, which is really, well, things start really going wrong. But um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, but that, but that's that's not what we're looking at now. With is a close no, 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 just 1792. So that so, yeah, is so, me done. That's me done. So that, I'm just having. So that's a quite France. a lot. That's 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 a lot happening in France. This is these. I mean, it's a big year. I mean, imagine uh, Europe at this time should be a mess. You have no idea what's going on. Keep your head down. Things dropping left, right, and center. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. don't don't want to be a noble clerk. Just be just be a peasant and just hope you don't get drafted into a war. I think that's that's all you can yeah. hope for. So um, I'd look a bit. I took a bit more look on a couple of other places. Mainly, um, so Russia at the time is this kind of imposing force, as it kind of is through a lot of its time. Is this kind of imposing force? It's under the reign, as I said earlier, of Catherine the Great, and they are kind of in full um, imperial expansion mode, and they are kind of meddling in all the different affairs of state across the, all their neighbours and in most of Europe. So they've just so in 1792 they just conclude their war with the Ottoman Empire um, after expanding into Crimea. But they're also meddling in Poland. So Poland has its own war in defence of the constitution, where some conservative Polish nobles invite Catherine the Great to invade Poland and restore a previous constitution, um, oh, which leads to this sort of second partition of Poland, where... You know, I think it's what 115,000 square miles of Poland is given over to Russia and Prussia. So Poland is getting fucked at this time. But yeah, so Russia is really like pushing for its expansion and it's, it's doing pretty well. I mean, it wasn't too long ago. It lost kind of lost a war against Sweden, but that's not a huge loss. It's one against the Ottoman Empire, which is big thorn in its side. And so they're in full expansion mode. And on the other side of the world, um, the other country I looked at was America, the burgeoning new country of america this new ah. experiment across the seas um, and this is very early on so president george washington has just gone into his second presidential term yeah because so 16 it's... years 1776 is when they start so it's 16 years young yeah yes yeah yeah and his yeah his because i can't remember the specifics but it is yeah so he he holds it for he a takes while but two... he's not exactly he takes two presidents. He takes two terms, but he's he him as president doesn't start immediately. So it's no, 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 yeah, yeah, kind of confusing. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's not just been ruling for sixteen years straight. No, 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 of. no. He would have so, ruled I mean, for of, eight years. Yeah, presumably. yeah. So this is so this is going into his um, second term. And actually, he receives all a hundred and thirty-two electoral votes for president, which I assume is the wow. first time in history. So he gets everything because obviously in America the people vote, but then. That just tells the electoral college who they who they should vote for, and he gets all of them. So it's a complete wow. shutout. I assume that's the only time in history that has ever happened. I think even the vice president is mostly a shutout. That the the rival vice president only gets like some of the votes. So it's pretty pretty substantial win. Unsurprisingly for George Washington, they're all quite big fans of him at the time. Yeah, um, decent guy. Yeah. Also that year, the Buttonwood Agreement is signed, which sounds kind of boring, but actually is the beginning of the New York Stock Exchange, which is quite a cool. That's quite a cool link to modern day. I mean, that so it's really we're really getting to modern history times with this year. You know, it's really getting to sort of modern era where a lot of institutions that are now around today 
and how important today are being set up, especially in America. I mean, everything's yeah. being set up in America because it's brand new. Um, and then finally, if you or any of our listeners are fans of the um, of the musical Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton during this year is just about concluding his scandalous affair with Mariah Reynolds. <gasps> really? Oh yes. my god! So okay. it's it's a, annoyingly. I was hoping there would be something a bit more dramatic, but yeah. So it's because he's he's in this relationship with her for a, an entire year, which I didn't realize yeah. from the from the. In the musical, it seems like it's just a summer, but it's from summer to the next summer, which is... It's a very interesting thing, which we shouldn't go into too much detail now. We but yeah, you, d- don't don't take all of your um, your knowledge from a from a musical for as oh. a historical accuracy. I mean, that's where I've got most of my knowledge from the French Revolution from, so... Um, <laughs> what, from um, I mean, Les Mis? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that actually this period of time has got two hit musicals written about it, one from America <laughs> and one from France. Yeah, they could just get. I mean, if there was one about Catherine the Great, or or even an assassination attempt against Gustave the Third, they could turn that into a musical. Yeah, that should be our next project, Patrick. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, probably not. Probably not gonna, both of us are tone deaf as well. Can't yeah, write yeah. music. <laughs> I think we probably should stick to this. We're probably better at it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so that's it for our closer look. Some mad stuff going on at this time. Yeah. But I guess to be honest, you pick any time in history, and mad stuff's going on. But yeah, so. it's a crazy time. Very awesome. Well, that was great, Patrick. I really enjoyed that. And Thank you I very hope much. that everyone at home also enjoyed it. Yes, indeed. Um, so next week, we're jumping back to Will. Will, would you like to give us a, a sneak peek at what we're moving on to next? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, unlike our... We always seem to be travelling through thousands of years in between episodes. <laughs> With this one, we are actually going to be in around the same time period, only in France. And a very specific... Uh, assassination a little bit like today's one uh and uh there'll be a real heavy look into art as well yes so tune both, in next week to we hear both, about we've that we've both flexed our artistic critiquing skills um it's gonna be time. really fun it's yeah. gonna be fun if you want to see a bit more about what we're what we're talking about please follow us on our instagram account at cloak and dagger podcast uh, we put up a lot of cool images that link up to what we've been talking about today um also if you could rate us um wherever you get your podcast uh, that really helps out the show and if you don't want to do that you can just tell a friend and share this journey we're all going on together um to learn about assassins that really helps out too um thank you very much thank you for everyone for listening thank you will for yeah thanks and we'll see you guys next week see you guys